see you all. Um, you know, my name is Bon. I'm, I'm officially called Pastor Bon because I serve here. Uh, but uh, I, I came aboard about a year ago. Uh, up until that time, I spent 10 years in the mission field. Um, and I was in the places like Nepal, India, a lot of areas of Africa. Uh, there was times when we would land at a hub uh, like China, where the, the planes would land, and we thought, well, let's just hang out here for a little while and see what God will do. And, uh, and so we, one particular trip, we went to China, and we did some work in a, a couple of states there, and then we decided to make our way over to the Great Wall of China there in Beijing. And so when we arrived, the host made arrangements for us to take a taxi over to the Great Wall of China, which is it's just amazing. Um, but then they called us up and said, listen, do you guys uh, want to take a, a couple with you? And uh, they will pay half of the uh, taxi. And we said, yes, a, a reduced cost? Absolutely, you know. And, <laughs> you know, and so this, in the morning, the couple got on the car. And uh, so we started chatting. Uh, and they were from Singapore. And so, you know, I'm always trying to work a conversation to God, you know. And so <laughs> we, we start talking about politics in Singapore, about, you know, uh, the government there and, you know, a little bit of sports and you know what comes next, religion. So, you know, so, so I asked them about all the different religions that are in Singapore. And so he begins to share with me. And then the final uh, question for me was, well, that wasn't the final, but the one in that area of category there, religion. I asked, so what do you stand for? And he says, well, I believe in yin and yang. I didn't know anything about it, so I, you know, I'm probing him, and I'm like, what is yin and yang? He says, well, it's the balance of life. You've seen the white circle thing and the teardrop and the black, and oh, yeah, I've seen that. And he goes, that's, that's the balance of life, you know, where everything comes whole, life and death, you know, and he's describing it to me, you know, and, and so I asked him, you know, a question. I said, well, let, tell me this. Does uh, yin and yang tell you the beginning of time? Does it tell you uh, the creation does it tell you about what came first the you know chicken or the egg and he's like well no it doesn't it just we look at it and we've come to this conclusion yin and yang exists but it doesn't give us detailed information about creation and I said do you realize there's a book that gives us detailed information <laughs> about creation in fact it tells us who the creator is and I started going through day one, day two, day three, of course, with them. And, you know, and, and we're just interlocked in this awesome conversation. And then I, you know, finally at the end, I get to tell him about Jesus Christ. And he was so into it. And he said, and, and, and I can't remember if he said his mom or his auntie. And I want to say his auntie. He said, my auntie is a Christian and I'm going to go home and investigate this now. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> awesome. You know, and so then we were in India and I walked up to a bunch of men and we started, I, I, you know, I just started a conversation that I'm good at. I can just talk about anything. And so then we come to religion and, and they said they were from Brahma, 
one of the highest caste. And I said, well, I said, so you guys believe in Brahma, the creator? And they said, oh, yes, yes. And I go, you guys have documentation about the religion of Brahma. And they said, oh, yes, yes. And I said, well, tell me this. Does Brahma, and I went down the same reasoning line here, this line of reasoning, you know, does Brahma tell you about the chicken and the egg and the whole creation? They go, oh, no. You know, he just says Brahma, you know, became a man, then Brahma changed and became the weather, and then Brahma changed. And, and I go, that doesn't give you detailed information. And then I went on and tell them, you know, we have a book that tells us... <laughs> about who the creator is and day one day two and i went through with them and a bunch of them ended up giving their lives to jesus and yeah amen so this morning we are in that very book the book of genesis uh genesis uh you know it is the book of origins uh it is the origin of the universe the origin of life the origin of man and woman the origin of marriage the origin of sin where sin came in, where evil came in, where, you know, um, all of man's problems have come in, the pain and, and anguish and death, you know, um, you know, there's so many people that always come in and they, I can't believe in God when he doesn't do anything about humanity and all the, 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 the you know, the sickness and all, and all the evil and, you know, the pain and suffering. And I say, listen, I go, if God is going to deal with the suffering issue, he, issue he has to deal with the evil issue. And then he has to deal with us because we have evil in us. I go, I don't know about you, but if he deals with us, we're all out. We're all in hell. I said, but God made a plan to rescue us and that he would begin to bend that suffering and evil back towards himself. And one day he's going to come and redeem this earth and make it to what it once was and should be. Amen. But that's the origin of sin. And then, of course, the origin of nations. We read in Genesis the origin of human government. And, of course, the origin of Israel, where the bloodline would seem that would start with Adam working its way all the way to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Uh, And so this is the beginning of it here in the book of Genesis. Genesis means beginning. When they were translating the Hebrew Bible into the Greek Bible, the Septuagint. They took that first word and said, this Bible is called the, the beginning. And so we, our English word is Genesis, the beginning. Moses is the author. You know, most of your universities and most of your, uh, you know, I always say cemeteries, but seminaries, you know, uh, <laughs> they, they, they attack Moses and they attack the first five books of the Bible and and they attack Isaiah and they even attack Jesus himself. Uh, And so, but it's under an attack in such a way that you know that's the devil because the devil wants you to doubt the Bible so that you don't have to believe in it. And so it's just all garbage, by the way. I call it hogwash. Listen, if you believe that Jesus is God and he is God, he says this in John chapter five, verse 45 through 47. But do not not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, in whom your hopes are set. If you believed in Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe that he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? And so what Jesus is saying here, the first five books are Moses. He wrote them. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, gave it to Moses. And Jesus is God. And he says, 
Moses wrote it. Now, it's interesting because this, uh, I heard this one story about Chuck Smith. He was having this conversation with one of the professors at the university regarding the Bible. And so one, during the break, he be, Chuck Smith began to ask uh, the professor questions. And he said, uh, do you believe that the first five books are Moses' writing? And the professor said, oh, no, no, we don't believe that any longer. You know, we, we have, uh, now we have knowledge. And he says, well, he, and so Chuck Smith said, well, Jesus said that the writings were from Moses. And the professor said, yes, but Jesus didn't have all the information that we have today. And so, you know, that's, so again, I, I stand on Jesus' side because he's God and he knows. And, uh, and so, by the way, the internal and the external evidence is plentiful. Really, this whole idea of uh, Moses not writing the Bible should, be, should have been already eradicated. It shouldn't be in the, 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 any university, but they want it there. Why? They want you to doubt it. It's the devil's trick. And we're going to read some other things uh, this morning regarding that as well. Uh, we should take Genesis 1 through 11 as straightforward, accurate, literal history because Jesus, the apostles, and all the biblical writers did so. This, his, uh, this, is, this historical account includes this. Adam and Eve as the first married couple found in Matthew chapter 19. Abel as the first prophet who were martyred. Noah and the flood. The experience of Lot and his wife. The judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. Moses and the serpent in the wilderness wanderings after Exodus from Egypt. Uh, the miracle of Elijah. Jonah in the big fist. Jesus believed them all. All the apostles believed them. Peter believed them. I mean, Jesus did not allegorize these accounts, but took them as straightforward history, describing events that actually happened, just as the Old Testament described. Jesus used these accounts to teach his disciples that the event of his own death, resurrection, second coming, would likewise certainly happen in time, space, reality. One commentator has found at least 165 passages in Genesis that are either directly quoted or clearly, clearly referred to in the New Testament. We have an amazing divine book before us, my friends. Listen, the writer's intent. Moses wanted you to get something out of the whole five books, but mainly the whole Bible as well. And it's this, and this is really God. It's this how this world and everything in it became or got started. How everything in this world became messed up. I mean, these, these three sentences, really, this, is, this covers the book of Genesis. The first one, how this world and everything in it got started. And the second one, how everything in this world became messed up. I mean, everything is it's winding down. The second law of thermodynamics, everything is declining. Death is before us. I mean, it, it doesn't take a, a scientist to figure that out. How God, and then the, finally, the third one, how God is going to fix everything. Amen? And that's through Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that especially in the millennial kingdom when he's ruling and reigning on the earth. All right, the outline of Genesis is really simple. Uh, Genesis chapters 1 through 11 covers 2,000 years. It covers creation, fall. That When I say the fall, I'm talking about sin in the world and how it came about where we have evil and suffering. And then the flood story. Um, 
fascinating article. I don't have time. Anyway, Babylon, uh, this, uh, okay, let me talk about this. It's, it's, I, was just, I was just reading uh, in, in um, one of the countries, uh, they, they found a whole slew of fossil uh, of these animals that had these duck beaks, and they were just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them just piled up with each other, and they were just thinking, how could this be? Did they eat something that killed them? Uh, did they eat you know, some kind of bacteria? Uh, was there lightning from the sky? But that doesn't answer all of them dying. They're just, all the fossil records just piled on, and this is recent. This is just in 2021. And, and they were like trying to figure it out, but of course, they don't look to the Bible where it says a flood. That's why they scattered up high up to the highest point they could, and boom, gone, instantly happening, killing them all at once. The flood uh, story, they, and, and they won't recognize. Anyway, the next one, the outline of Genesis is uh, creation, fall, flood, and Babylon, which we would say nations, Babel. That's where the language got started. Uh, that's where the nations began. And so, and then, of course, Genesis chapter 12 to 50 covers 350 years. Four guys, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. These four guys are instrumental in promoting the bloodline of the Messiah. Remember, the bloodline flows from Adam to Seth to Noah to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, uh, Joseph, David, uh, and then ultimately to Jesus Christ. The bloodline that would ultimately save us. And so that's very clear when you read in Luke uh, chapter 3, verse 23 to 38, the bloodline there. It's interesting. We used to pass out the Gideon Bibles at all the high schools, you know, and we were always worried they were going to open up the book of Matthew chapter 1. Remember Matthew chapter 1 begins, and he begat this, and he begat that, and he begat that person, begat, begat, begat. Oh, I can't read that anymore. You know, that's, that's kind of what I did, you know. And, and so I was like, oh, Lord, let him read the Psalms first, you know, or, or something in the Gideon Bible. But uh, that chapter 1 shows clearly the bloodline all the way from Adam all the way to Jesus Christ, and he is the redeemer of the world. And so very important uh, enough of the introduction. Let's get into the book. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, you know, it's interesting when I teach at the Bible colleges, I'll take three weeks, and every day for six hours a day, we will teach just on that one sentence. There's so much. The beginning, right? Who was in the beginning? You know, God, Elohim, and, and his name declares so much. And even when uh, the, the other names that are mentioned for the same God, Yahweh, you know, and Adonai, and then created as Bara, creating something out of nothing. The heavens, the three heavens, the heavens where God is, the heavens where the illuminaries are, and of course the heavens here where we breathe and see our birds, and then the earth, and so, so much that I would spend three weeks, six hours a day with our students, just talking about that one sentence. I don't plan to do that with you this morning, <laughs> or, or at least the next couple of weeks. But the book of Genesis makes no argument for the existence of God. Isn't that amazing? He, the, the author's intent is this. It's simply this, that you should know that there is a creator by observing nature. Creation is proof of a creator, 
Every song has a composer. Every book has an author. Every car has a maker. I, I, every time I read it, I think of Tes- Tesla, right? Oh, man, that guy. I, I, I see some of them parked outside there. I'm waiting for you to pass them on to me. But anyways, it, it's a, every car has a maker, and every painting has a, a, a painter, and every building has a, build, a builder. So it isn't irrational to take the simple logic a little further and say that nature must have a maker. It would be irrational to believe that it made itself. Oh, we're going to talk about that today. Nature shows us that the world and our bodies are incredibly complex. There is design to it. If something has a design, there must be a designer. Clearly, the genetic codes, the DNA, you know, I don't know if you like watching crime, um, you know, documentaries. And I, I love watching forensic, you know, and they're like, oh, we need is a little bit of genetic codes from them, a little DNA. And we can tell who that it person is, you know, and, and it's coded. And they know who it is. So that means there's a designer, there's a plan. It just didn't boom and then appear. We'll talk about that in a moment. In fact, Psalms 19 says this, verses 1 through 3. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. You know, one of the amazing uh, the amazing things about our life as a missionary, we traveled all over the world and we got to experience so much of this amazing earth in the sand dunes and the palm trees and the oceans, you know, just dipping your feet in the Indian Ocean and, and, you know, and, and, and gosh, it sure is hot. It sure is warmer than the Pacific Ocean. But, you know, you just, it's just amazing the things that you would see and hear. One time we were in Africa and, you know, you, we were in a hut and we were just like, this is amazing. And then you hear the ro- lion roar. You know, you're like, oh my goodness. His, his roar might be miles away, but it would verberate into your soul. Oh, you're like, oh my. There is a God and God save me now. You know, you're like, <laughs> you, you know, but you just, the, the nature, it, it just speaks day and night and has no language. And it speaks to all that there is a God. The heavens are always pouring out knowledge. The heavens are always declaring God's glory, majesty, righteousness, and mighty power. And language they speak is in every tongue for those who will listen. The heavens are shouting out a constant message, a sermon, an anointed proclamation, and a word from the Lord every single day. His glory in daytime as well in nighttime has no ending to it. The part that is unceasing is that this has been taking place from the beginning of creation. Everywhere we look, the revelation of God is being poured out. The stars testify of God with great power who made them. The human body testifies to all wise creator. The petals of a flower, the majesty in a snowflake, the orbit in a tiny atom, the nature of light, the aspect of gravity, and a host of other things point to God. 
we scratch the surface of God's creation and it becomes even greater and complicated. It is literally beyond the mind of man to fathom it. Day after day, speech is poured out. Night after night, knowledge pushes its way towards us. Listen, Romans 1, 18 through 20 says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Listen, they know the truth, but they hide it behind here and say, look at this, you know, look at this magic show. And they suppress it and they don't want you to see the truth because the truth has responsibility behind it. The truth speaks louder than this lie, but they don't want you to see that. And they keep on pounding away with the lie. And that's what Paul says here in Romans chapter 1. They suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine natures have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that the people are without excuse. No one will be without excuse that day. The Bible is unapologetic in declaring that our world has been designed and that there is an intelligent designer, God, who made it. And yet, Today, many people miss this truth. They say they have an excuse. It's called evolution. Two worldviews, God and evolution. That's what you have. You know, you don't have the alien story they're trying to tell you now, you know, but it's God and evolution. And which one will you choose? You know, my, my brother, he travels uh, through all, all the high schools and he, and he gets these amazing questions and he says, let's put your information on a scale and let's see where the scale balance will lean once we get the information on there. You know, and, and it's amazing argument because they begin to, to process the information and they put it on this scale. Which one will you choose, God or evolution? There are those, Paul says in verse 21, that although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. While evolution is a scientific theory, many scientists agree and many disagree with the leading atheist Richard Dawkins who said that evolution is a fact. And they go as far as saying that if you question evolution, you're questioning science. That's true. That's what they've said. I don't know about you, but I've been bullied in school. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not going to believe we came from monkey. Oh, you're not. You should, you know, I'm not going to be bullied, man. You know, and, and I wasn't even a Christian, but I wasn't going to be that gullible. But, you know, and, 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 and it's funny that you're bullied, you know, by these these guys, and, and we'll get to it because I, I'm going to share my little, a little, just a little testimony of my life when I was in the university, challenging back now, you know, just my thinking mind, and we'll talk about that just in a moment. But know this, just a few years ago, uh, these scientists, they always meet and they talk about evolution, the latest findings. And about, I want to say four, maybe five or six years ago, uh, they went to meet and they all signed a document, not all, but the majority of them signed a document saying we're no longer going to believe in evolution. But 
we better find a different solution because we don't want to believe in God. <laughs> it's true. But they signed the document. In fact, our greatest debaters now have pushed them so far into a corner. They say this, well, you know, maybe it's not evolution. Maybe it's an alien that seeded us. And I'm like, okay, I'm never going to believe that. I mean, come on, you, you have, you've gone too far now in this whole process. The debate usually turns to being between science and faith with most unbelievers saying that science is the winner by default. Then the next step is to call those of us who believe in God as the creator of the universe irrational and illogical because they believe we are contradicting known observable science. The problem for them is evolution has not been observed, at least not the kind of evolution that is usually believed to have happened. The whole debate hinges on how evolution is defined and what is grouped under the umbrella of that evolution. What evolutionists do not like to do is to make distinctions between microevolution, the small changes within the kind. For instance, the finches, right? The beaks, they still are finches, even though their beaks have changed. The fish that have changed into different fishes, but they're still fish and so on and so forth. That's microevolution, changing changes within the kind, but never from kind to kind, never a dog to an animal, and that's called microevolution. Large changes from one kind of animal or plant to another. One is from God and the other is not. And, and by the way, you know, they don't ever tell you about macro in, in elementary, right? They just micro, micro, macro, micro, micro, micro. Now you believe in macro, macro, macro. That's what they do. It's, it's, a, it's a trick. You know, oh yeah, since there's micro, there's got to be macro. You know, and so you fall right into that line of thinking. Listen, I, I just, um, you know, uh, Ray Comfort, he does this amazing um, conversation with these uh, university guys in USC and UCLA. Uh, can you cue that up there, uh, Spencer? And then just, I just want to hear you. He just gets them with this simple remark. This is what I did at, at my university. I just, long before Ray Comfort did this, I did this. So go ahead, cue it up. Definitely an atheist, yes. And why are you an atheist? Why am I an atheist? Because there is no God. Atheism assumes that you can disprove the existence of a God. Uh, agnostic is a more correct term, but I'm an atheist. Are you an atheist? Uh, yeah. I am an atheist, yeah. I am, yes. I am. So you're not an atheist? Uh, no. So you're leaning that way because of evolution? Yeah. I don't believe in the, there's a guy in the sky that lives in the sky. Do you believe in evolution? Of course I do, yes. Live science says of Darwinian evolution. It can turn dinosaurs into birds, apes into humans, and amphibious mammals into whales. What Darwin showed in his work on evolution and natural selection is that we don't need to invoke any supernatural force or power to account for the development of life through time on Earth. The ongoing processes that, that are observable in today's world. You think it's a belief? 
I think it's just fact. Think more like facts. There is too much evidence to ignore. Do you think it's a belief? No, it's science. It's the way it happened. It's logical. You know, all the scientists pretty much agree with it. It's, it's more of a fact. When did you start to believe? Um, when I started to think for myself. When did you start believing? Uh, when I took my first biology class. It all started to make a lot of sense. The teacher made it very, very easy to understand. I generally trust the scientific community. It makes more sense than any religion or anything. The fossils they found of all the, all the cavemen, the homo sapiens, the dinosaurs, it shows clear evidence. I believe in science. What's your major here at this university? Biology. You're a biology major? Yeah. You believe in evolution? Yes. What's your major? Geology. Chemistry? Biochemistry. Environmental science and policy. I'm a physicist. Biochemistry. Okay, do you believe in evolution? Uh, yes, I do. Do you believe in evolution? Yes, I do. Of course. Yes, I do. I do believe in evolution. You believe in evolution? Yes. Are you a strong believer? Yes. Are you a strong believer? Yep. Uh, yes. Yes. Absolutely. A scientific method is based on the collection of data through observation and experimentation. Science Daily. Could you give me some observable evidence that evolution is true? Uh, something I don't have to uh, receive by faith. Yeah. Some observable evidence. I mean, take a look at what happened 65 million years ago. Hang on, I can't. That's 65 million years ago. <laughs> I believe, yeah, millions of years. So that can't be observed. We can trace the evolution through the fossil record. Could you be specific? Just give me one. Um, uh, between six and seven million years ago. Hundreds of thousands to millions of years? So it's quite a long time. Yes. Millions of years. Yes. So it can't be observed. Evolution is, is not testable over time. We are condemned to live only for a few decades. And that's too slow, too small a time scale to see evolution going on. Richard Dawkins. We see nothing of these slow changes in progress until the hand of time has marked the lapse of ages. Charles Darwin. You've got the canine kind, the coyote, and the domestic dog, and there's the feline kind, which is the cats, the tiger and the kitten, and you've got humankind. So Darwin said there'd be a change of kinds over many years, so could you give me one example of observable ex evidence of a change of kinds. For instance, the fossil record shows the common ancestors of all carnivores, that cats and dogs were once linked, once united by a common ancestor. How long ago? Uh, this, I believe, was like 60 million years ago. I don't want something I have to accept by faith. I want it to be observable. Observable evidence. Well, I mean, if you're just asking me here on the street, there's not really much I can tell you in terms of observable evidence. Like, we would have to really examine existing data to draw conclusions of our own. I would have to have faith in... We would have to have some amount of faith. Can you think of any observable evidence for Darwinian evolution where he said there'd be a oh, change like of kinds? monkey to a man, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, a change of kinds. I don't really believe there's any proof for that yet. Wild monkeys are the only ones with the fifth digit, like we have. Koalas have a fifth digit. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Think we're evolved from koalas? No. When I went to like Washington DC, I saw the they had a whole exhibit just on the, the Smithsonian? Yeah, in the Smithsonian. Oh wait, so that is just like some stuffed dummies, yeah. like standing around a fire. I know that everyone <laughs> talks about the missing link for humans and whatnot. I believe that there are connections that are out there that we haven't found yet. I'm gonna trust what those experts did those experts uh, came up with. I have a strong trust in evolutionary ideas based on the evidence presented. Can you think of any observable evidence for Darwinian evolution, a change of kinds? 
I haven't seen it myself, but I believe what the textbooks tell me about it, so. You've got faith in the experts? I have faith in the experts, yeah. I guess similar to how religious people have faith that God actually exists, I have faith in the experts knowing what they're talking about. The scientific method is, must be observable and repeatable, so could you give me one piece of observable evidence for Darwinian evolution? Okay, I would point to, as one great example is, look at the genetics of the stickleback. What's that? Uh, so stickleback fish are a very interesting collection of species that were recently isolated after the end of the Ice Age. What have they become? They're, they're various species of sticklebacks. They stayed as fish? Why? Well, of course. Can you think of any observable evidence where there was a change of kinds? Fish. Human beings are still fish. Oh, Human well, beings are fish? Why, yes, of course they are. <laughs> How long did that take? A couple of billions of years, millions. A couple of millions? How is that observable? It's not. We came out of the ground as a mammal, and one mammal created... Come out of the ground? You didn't come out of the sea? Huh? Well, initially in the beginning, we came out of the ground and the sea after the great destruction of the... the... So did we have lungs or gills when we came out of the sea? You want to know something? Those that were in the sea, I guess, had gills, and those that were on land had lungs. But if we came out of the sea, we had gills in the sea. You want to know something? Who knows that when we came out of the sea or we came out, we evolved from mammals? So you don't know? Huh? Of course I don't know. I'm accepting that they did their science correctly. Would you give me an example of Darwinian evolution, not adaptation or speciation, but a change of kinds? <laughs> These are changes of kinds. They're still fish. They're distinctly different fish. We have thousands of examples. Give me, can you give me one? I can give you, I can give you thousands, just one. For instance, I would say, uh, look at Lenski's experiments with bacteria then. So what do the bacteria become? The bacteria are still bacteria, of course. That's not Darwinian evolution. That's not a change of kinds, is it? It, it is a change, it is a change in the genetic makeup of the bacteria, which is They're still bacteria. So what do the bacteria become? Uh, a new kind of bacteria. It's still bacteria, there's no change of kinds. To summarize, the observable evidence that you give me for Darwinian evolution is bacteria becoming bacteria. No, it is bacteria <laughs> acquiring new metabolic capabilities. You said before that there, are, there is lots of evidence for evolution. I just want one observable evidence for Darwinian evolution, no, just one. But I gave you some, you don't want Not some, I want one. You don't want that. I want one. Yes, I do, I'm pleading with you. You asked me to tell you, you asked me to tell you when I've watched one species evolve into another, isn't that right? No, one kind into another. There's 14, is it 14 different definitions of species? So I want a change of kind. Well, when you're talking about kinds or change in families, you're, you're actually talking about, about macroevolution. You're talking about um, uh, changes on the level uh, that separate, say, cats from dogs. Could you give me any examples of Darwinian evolution? Well, uh, when you say examples of that, then you have to sort of look it over a longer time. Well, that's kind of, I, I have a few videos in the back that are free uh, of this uh, Ray Comfort and Living Waters. Uh, at the end of the service, you can get those. But when I was in the university, uh, I just was challenged by God to prove the Bible wrong. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. I'd grab my Bible and I said, all right, God, if I'm going to give my life to you, I need to believe in you. And he said, try to prove me wrong. And I said, all right, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I went to the university and I said, you know, uh, to the biology, I, I went to several guys and I said, listen, just uh, give me some information uh, about this so I don't have to believe in this book. 
So they gave me this stack of books, you know, and I, and I go, no, I got to read all that. And so I'm reading it and, you know, and I come back and I say, there's a lot of probability chances and kudos and, and you know, and, and I go, it's, it's just, it, it's too desperate. Give me an evidence from one kind of animal turning to another. And so to make a long story short at the end, I said, listen, you know, you're asking me to believe in millions of years. I can't do that. I can't see in a million years. You're asking me to believe that one day transitional forms will just show up. We don't have any. You're asking me to look in the fossil records for a transitional form. There are none. And that's when I really began to say, oh no, God is real. And I fell on my face and that's when I really surrendered to God and said, God, I owe you my life. And I began to go to the high schools and the university and preach the gospel. I needed to tell them the truth, and that's how my ministry began. And so I started going forth in a, a pretty amazing way as the Lord would lead me. Listen, the Bible begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All science and mathematics, history, language, astronomy, biology, botany, physiology, geology, uh, economics, theology, government, chemistry, physics, art, music, politics, the laws of nature, the intimacy with God begins with the first verse of the Bible. It's amazing. Psalms 14.1 says this, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's scary. When we ignore the simplicity of evidence, you know, I'm not going to be bullied. I'm not going to be shoved in the corner, you know, and forced to believe in their fairy tale. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to do that. I believe in the truth of God's word and the power of his spirit working and moving in us. Listen, we're going to work our way through the book of Genesis. And one thing that we're going to see is the triune God, God the Father there. That word God there is Elohim, El, all-powerful, mighty one. But Ohim makes it more than one, and it gives us a hint to the Trinity. And of course, we're going to lay that out as we go through Genesis 1 and even through Isaiah and finally John chapter 1, where Jesus is part of the triune God. Do you realize Jesus created this earth? Listen to this. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says this, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominion, principalities or power, all things were created through him and for him. Listen, the Bible makes it clear that we were created for his good pleasure. But it doesn't stop there. He loves you and he adores you. I think that of, of, of the parable of the pearl of great price there in Matthew chapter 13, verse 45 to 46, it says this, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for a fine pearl. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. For years, the scholars used to say it was us giving up everything to find Jesus, but that is not true at all. It's Jesus giving up everything for you. You are the pearl of great price. He loves you and he adores you. He made you 
and then he bought you, we say redeemed you back to himself. I think of the little boy who created his little sailboat, sanded it down, made it all perfect, made the dimensions perfect that he would sail, put on the sails on it, you know, and, and he put it out on the lake and the, and the winds were carrying along and he was running along the shoreline following that little boat. And then all of a sudden a gush of wind came in, a gust of wind came and, and just blew that boat out to where it became smaller and smaller and disappeared and his heart was broken. It's like, oh, I lost my sailboat. I love that thing. And then months later, he's walking by the pawn shop there in town and he sees his boat that sell, you know, that he put sails on and he walks in and he goes, mister, that's my boat. And the mister said to him, yeah, for $55, it's your boat. And he says, no, 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 I made that boat. I painted it. I put the sails up. He goes, son, I bought that boat and I got to make a living here. So if you want it, you can purchase it for $55. And so that little boy went home and began to do all these odd jobs working for the neighbors. And finally he came with his $55 and put it before him. And the man took the boat and says, here you go, son. And the son has the boat and he's hugging it and rubbing it. And he's saying this, mine, mine, twice mine. I made you and then I bought you. It's the story of Jesus. He adores you. He loves you. He made you. You were separated by sin, and he bought you and brought him back. This whole story is about that, the redemption. And so as we go through the book of Genesis, take note of that. He loves you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. If there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, it's time. It's time for you to give your life to him. I'm going to pray that this morning that you would hear his voice as he did with me and he knocks on your heart there and he says, let me come on in. Lord Jesus, I pray for those that are here today, those that need a touch of your love, those that need a touch of your grace, those that don't know you, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself mighty, mightily to them this morning. Lord, I pray that salvation would ring loudly in their soul. And just like many of us who made our profession to follow you, Lord, that they would do so as well. This morning, Lord, I pray for those who need a touch of your love, a touch of your grace, healing in their heart. Some are brokenhearted. Some are dismayed or just out of their mind of what's happening with Pastor Ross and other issues. We pray for them right now, Lord, that you would comfort them. You are the great healer. You are the comforter. So we ask right now, Jesus, that you would comfort our souls, that you would bring wholeness to our hearts. I pray for your saints this morning, Lord, that we would all know your love far better than when we came into those doors. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.